You're listening to Rhodey Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online. I'm Taylor, branch librarian at the Oakland branch of the Cranston Public Libraries and host of our weekly podcast, Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. This week, we're helping Rhodey Radio observe Transgender Day of Remembrance, which takes place on Friday, November 20th. Transgender Day of Remembrance honors the memories of those murdered in acts of anti-transgender violence. We're taking this opportunity to present an excerpt from a recent episode featuring the voices of local transgender library workers and students. To learn more about Transgender Day of Remembrance, please visit tdor.translivesmatter.info. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. My name's Taylor, and I'm the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hello, uh, my name is Joe. I am a current library student at URI's Masters of Library and Information Studies program, and I use they, them, theirs pronouns. Hi, my name is Erin. Uh, I am a teen services assistant, and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, my name is Derek, and I am not connected to a library, but I love them because they're awesome, and my pronouns are he, him. Library fans are always welcome here. If we didn't have fans, we couldn't continue to be librarians. So I am very excited to have these three special guests with me here today because uh, this week's episode is our Trans 101 episode, Um, so these three guests are here to talk about their experiences and give everyone a little bit of a better idea. If you're listening and you personally don't know someone who's trans, we're hoping to increase your knowledge on that subject a little bit. So at the top here of the show, I thought kind of to kick things off, we would talk a little bit about one thing you wish everyone knew about being trans and or non-binary. I can start in here. Uh, the, I mean, most basic thing of basic doesn't know. We're just people. We're maybe identified differently from the majority, but that's, that's it. There's, there's a full spectrum of people, good and bad, who are gender of some variety. And there's it's just another way of being. You know. Yeah, well put. I, I think I would just echo... Erin, um, that's my like trans 101 bullet point is you know, trans people are people. You can't really condense them by any one defining trait. They're just people. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say like, I feel like one of the things that gets kind of bypassed whenever a lot of people think about it is not every trans person has the same experience. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people think, oh, it's this kind of blanket thing like you're trans, so that means you must go through this, which is, I think, a huge, a huge like misunderstanding that really it doesn't. Every single, every single person, just like anyone who is cisgendered, your story is always different. So uh, this was a question from one of my coworkers, but I thought it was a really great question. Um, they ask, what part of your experience as a trans or non-binary person has brought you the most joy? For me, one of the, the big things that was nice was uh, switching pronouns over to they, them once I started to get more comfortable with a non-binary identity. 
uh, was just how quickly all of my friends like caught themselves and switched right over there with it and were always very like quick about catching slip-ups and inserting correct pronouns. I think one of probably one of the things that brings me the most joy of it is finally getting to like solidify my own identity as opposed to like this pretend persona that I made up for years just to kind of try and fit in with everyone else. Like it was very freeing to finally be around people who were like, yeah, we just like you for you. So just be you. And it, it took a while learning who I was, but now that, now that I'm there, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. I think I had read a post somewhere a while ago that was saying that like generally people in the LBGT QIA plus community are like, I don't know if the way they worded it was like self-aware, but that we have this whole journey with our identity that's straight and cis people don't like have to have because they just, their, their identity like matches up with like the mainstream narrative. So they're, they don't really have to like, think about it and reflect about it as much as a person who needs who you know has to go through all this like soul searching for lack of a better word to suss out what about them is different from everyone else or from that mainstream narrative I think it's like that's really wonderful to have like when you're on the other side of that to have had that experience and allowed you to be like so much more in touch with yourself and so much more like solid in your identity i can echo what uh was what eric was talking about with um just being able to establish who i was as myself and not as some kind of like reflection of other people's impressions of me was very liberating and definitely the most positive part of the whole quote-unquote trans experience for me and so on the flip side of that uh if you guys are comfortable sharing um i was curious about maybe what was you would say for you personally was the most difficult part of your experience with life thus far as being trans or non-binary i guess i can kick this one off um honestly i have to say it's it's like watching the stories of other trans folk complete their journeys and I still feel like I'm miles behind like I'll I'll see and I know it's not like a race or anything but like I've I've personally known a few people who within you know six months of being on T now they're getting top surgery now they're doing this and I'm like if other factors have come into it like mostly medical costs and just legalities and whatnot but it's been kind of a drag to watch how slow the progression can be. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest part for me has just been like other people and not even necessarily in the terms of, you know, someone dramatically confronting me or whatever. Although I've always had that fear in the back of my head pretty much every single time I go outside. Um, at least I've been, I've been, I personally have been extremely fortunate knock on uh, fake wood here. That um, I haven't experienced that yet, but like you know, you get stuff news, stuff on the internet, uh, the stuff from the family, from people in the street or walking down past me, even necessarily 
realize. I mean, it's just everywhere, and it can be very draining. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I know, I feel like part of the non-binary identity, but still, like, being to operate and move through the world, um, more or less frictionless when still being ascribed, you know, by gender at birth. And there's arguments made either way on if invisibility is a privilege or not, but, like, it just, it feels shallower and easier that I still have that opportunity to just, like, you know, if I go out and somebody misgenders me as a cis male, at the end of the day, it's it's unlikely I'm going to come to harm from that. Um, so the next question I have here is, what is gender dysphoria and do all trans people experience it? I can start with the easy part to that question, which is not all trans people experience gender dysphoria. It's not a requirement to be trans. Um, so just since, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily know that you're experiencing it, experiencing it until you stop experiencing it. So putting it as a, re- a requirement, in quotes, is not particularly helpful in talking about trans experience. Um, but as to what it actually is, I mean, again, that's going to be different for everybody in the ways that manifests just a disconnect between how people relate to you or a disconnect with your body. It's a, It can be a very personal thing. Um, I think with trying to define it, uh, just sort of jumping off what Aaron brought up, um, with it being sort of a disconnect between, I guess, your own perceived self and society's perceived self, generally in regards to gender, um, and then because we live in a society that more or less inherently genders everything, it can manifest through any of those avenues and any of those outlets. Um, and so it's just sort of feeling that disconnect in any number of, of places or ways. Yeah, like um, there's definitely a huge range when it comes to gender dysphoria. Like it could be something as big as you hate every single aspect about your body because it doesn't match what you should see in the mirror, like what you see in your mind, but it's not. Um, But it can also be like little tiny versions. Like um, I remember pretty early on, I was, I didn't realize it was dysphoria for a long time, but it it really kind of was where I would worry constantly, like every day, am I going to pass? Am I going to pass? And I hate that term, but it, it was like this thought in the back of my head every single day of if I step outside my door, like, am I going to be able to blend in the way that I want to without being called out on it? And it's, it's interesting to me personally that it can also show up at different stages of your transition because those were very, I consider them very minor um, types of dysphoria for myself. But then recently during the past year, um, I had some very severe dysphoria because after years of successfully being gendered correctly and you know living a completely um, completely transitioned life for five plus years, all of a sudden people were and just random people were like, "Oh yeah, that girl over there," and "Oh yeah, I talked to her. I talked to her," and it was it was very like it just really messed with me. And I had kind of this downward spiral for a while. And it was just weird to me that it could happen so late in a transition. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure because you felt like you've, you've made all this progress and then brings you back 
to a time where you didn't feel as happy or satisfied, maybe. Yeah, and that was pretty much it, was that I felt like I had kind of completed this this outward persona and suddenly it wasn't working. Anymore. I was like, what What happened? What went wrong? Yeah, sometimes one, like, one wrong comment and it feels like you can rob it, like everything you've tried to do and it doesn't feel great. So uh, to move on to something that maybe your answers will help some people make some more positive experience for you all. Um, this is a question that I got from my boss uh, who said, what would make uh, the public restroom experience better slash safer besides just changing signs? Not sure it's a good answer to that one. I mean, make sure everyone on the staff is, you know, up to date policy and that the policy is abided by. I, I think beyond signage, it's largely a matter of establishing a track record that, like, your, you know, public space is a public space that respects trans people and trans bodies, you know? Yeah, like, I, I think it, unfortunately, signage, like, signage is great, but signage won't help anything until it becomes normalized in, in society anyway. Like, I would say just general education needs to be better about mm -hmm. the trans populace and, you know, our life experiences and how we're, we're literally just people who want to be happy people. Going back to how Joe was saying about one of the really affirming things was everyone changing the pronouns that they use. Um, so I put two questions together because they were somewhat related, uh, which is what is the least awkward way to ask someone their pronouns and maybe some advice for people messing up new names and pronouns with grace, for lack of a better word. I think it goes a long way to, I guess, like, you know, lead by example to introduce your, when introducing yourself to give your own pronouns to create the space where that's normal. Because it can, it can be weird if, you know, you're only asking pronouns of people that you think are trans. Then it's like you're you're already singling them out. Um, and that can that can feel like an unsafe situation. I can say from experience is I think it's something that you have to you have to be creating the space where that's normal. Yeah, so I think it goes back to people learning new patterns and new ways of thinking, and hence why we start the show with people's pronouns every episode. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love that that's becoming like a normalized thing across the internet as well. And like I've even seen um, people who would get the badges, they usually get them at like Comic Cons and things, but they'll have their pronouns on them and that they can just wear at all times because it just, it makes it so much more normalized it's so much easier to kind of feel that freedom of like hey i i don't have to worry about that because if we're addressing it with everyone then no one's getting really called out and you know for online spaces i think it goes a long way to do just a little bit of research because like we're talking about with sharing your pronouns becoming more normalized a lot of people nowadays will put them in whatever like little staff bio they have on a company web page so taking a minute and looking that up before you send like an email so that you use the right, you know, honorifics before their name. It, you know, takes two minutes, but saves you embarrassment and them discomfort. On the topic of honorifics, because I always think of honorifics being super gendered. Is there a gender neutral honorifics for people? Or do we think we should just throw honorifics in the trash can because they're super gendered anyway? 
I think in general in society, they're becoming less frequent anyways, because like I grew up in the Midwest, so it was very standard to say sir or ma'am. And then moving over here to New England, you call anyone ma'am and they will they will like eat you alive. Because <laughs> they assume that means they're old. <laughs> and I'm like, that's literally not what I mean. <laughs> but I I can kind of I kind of see how they're starting to fade away in certain areas, which is kind of nice. But on a sillier note, I have I have heard some like alternatives of like, you know, Supreme Overlord is not gendered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always end up using Ms. because I hate the like Miss and Mrs. Like it's like it shouldn't matter whether I'm married or not, and I hate this. That's why like when when websites give me the choice to pick Ms., I'm like yes. Um, but yeah, that if we just threw them in the garbage can, then we wouldn't have to worry about that, and no one would have to think twice about whether I was married or not, which is fine by me. Yeah, I'm I'm staying a plain garbage can. <laughs> And so then do you have any advice on how um, people who are close to you or people who have people that they're close to in their lives who are using new names and new pronouns to deal with um, messing up in a way that doesn't make things too awkward or make things too much about them or what or the mishaps? I mean, like, just correct yourself. Maybe a quicker technology, but move on. Don't don't fixate on it. Don't don't make it into a, a a bigger thing. Sometimes, like you know, I've been receiving end of like someone like messing up, and then they like they're, they get like really like nervous, and then it becomes more about like comforting them for their mistake. And it's like okay, okay, but it's, um, you know, it you know, mistakes happen. You can usually tell when they're honest rather than you know when they're not so honest. This. Correct yourself and move on. Good advice, I think. Joe or Derek, do you have anything to add? I think I think she hit it nail on the head. Okay. I mean, I have I have uh, suggestions on how not to do it. <laughs> don't, don't be like me and spend you know eight years going. No, it's it's fine. You'll get it someday. <laughs> so you so you have advice for as being on the receiving end of misgendering that you should advocate for yourself more. Yeah, I'd say for for other people, just put in the effort. Like it's if we can change it super easy, or when you look at a dog and go, "Oh, look, he's so cute," and someone's like, "Oh no, he's a boy." Oh, okay, he's so cute. Why can't we do it for people? Yeah, seriously. So this is another question submitted by one of my coworkers who said, "How can friends, family, and community members create a safe environment for a child to explore gender?" I mean, well, just let them do as they want as far as that goes. Don't, don't come down and say, no, this is for boys or this is for girls. You can't wear that or you can't play with that solely because of gender. Um, I think it's probably the biggest thing. Listen to them if they tell you stuff. Isn't that a I think part of it is also just like allowing for that understanding that there are other options than sort of what you know, that child has was initially assigned or like what they may be having reinforced in their day to day. Like I think just having the information there that like it isn't is it it is an A or B. There's, you know, twenty four other letters. Like just having that around is a big starting point for creating that safe environment. Yeah, I definitely feel like listening is a big part of it. 
Um, and just there's there's this strange societal like pressure that you have to fit into the gender norms and people try to make like I feel like there's a huge stereotype that goes against trans folk about oh you're you're pushing sexuality and all these things on my child but at the same time they're looking at like a six-month-old baby and going oh he's gonna be a heartbreaker oh he's a lady killer (laughs) and it's like talk about bringing sexuality into a kid's life like we're just talking identity and just let them be themselves and just give them that freedom to let them be themselves and a lot will come from that all great points um, so kind of also related to this, another one of my coworkers asked, what can adults do or what should adults know in order to best support trans or questioning kids slash teens? And if you all had any examples um, of adults that were helpful for you as a young person. So yeah, as, as somebody who sort of shifted into a trans non-binary identity as like an adult, um, don't necessarily have an exa- a specific example personal to me um but when i read this question i couldn't help but think about um an experience that uh jen richards talks about in the uh documentary disclosure that's on netflix right now about uh trans rap in the media watching this like roundtable discussion uh thing that that i believe candace kane was leading of parents of non-binary and trans children um, and her experience watching this one father who was just very on board and very enthusiastic about his child and for her, how that opened up sort of avenues of rethinking how she thought about herself and her identity and extending that love to herself. So I think a big thing for, for parents um, to best support, you know, a child who's questioning the gender is to just be, be enthusiastic be their biggest supporter. If you have questions, you don't understand something, do whatever soul searching research you need to do in your private time. But like when that child is there with you, you need to be a hundred percent on board in their corner and just like pumped about it. Yeah. It sounds like some pretty good advice to me. I can't think of any, anything specific from like my childhood um, because I really didn't even understand that trans was a thing until I got into college. Um, And and that explained a world of things but up until that point there really it was it wasn't super strict with gender norms like my my mom always considered me a tomboy that sort of thing and I was allowed to run around with my cousins and play in the dirt and play with the matchbox cars um so I guess kind of that but a lot more of it that I can think of comes from my adult life and again with my mother because she's been my hardest challenge really uh, she took it very hard when I came out to her and almost had a complete falling out about it. And she's slowly, after like eight years, <laughs> starting to come around to things. Like she sent me my birthday gift recently and had actually written Derek on on the package. And I feel like just as as a supportive person, pushing yourself to make those self changes, even if they're really difficult is very important and it might seem like a silly little thing to you but to a trans person in your life it can be a huge thing like it can affect so much okay great 
So now we have some more library-specific questions. Um, and the first one is, what trans book titles do we need to have in a public library? The first two that come to mind are uh, Janet Mock's Redefining Realness, which is about her transition experience, um, which is incredibly well-written and, you know, it's her life. So it's a, a great sort of window into humanizing a trans person and a very sort of publicly visible trans person um, as she is, you know, TV producer, director. I believe she starred in a few things as well. Um, and on the fiction spectrum, um, I really enjoyed um, An Unkindness of Ghosts, which is um, a book that has a non-binary protagonist um, and manages to have some interesting explorations of gender and sexuality while critiquing uh, like antebellum slave era culture, but set on a starship. Um, very good read. I would recommend it. Um, That's a lot of things. It's a lot of things, but they all blend surprisingly well for how various they are, which is Rivers Solomon, I believe is the author on that one. I have a couple of them. They're kind of older, um, mostly because I haven't, unfortunately, have not done a lot of reading. That's a bad thing. <laughs> um, but while I was just out of college, like I was scrounging anywhere to find any kind of like trans-related literature. And I admittedly am not a nonfiction reader. I love fiction. So that's what I was going for. And that was a really hard thing to find. Um, in like the early 2000s in that time. So I'm like, well, my late 2000s, how old am I? <laughs> um, but one of the ones that I really liked, and they're both kind of young adult novels, which they're really great for the younger folks who like want to kind of see a view into this. They're both read very heavily like young adult novels. Um, but one of them was Luna by Julie Ann Peters. And that one struck me as really interesting because it's it's about a um, it's about a transgender girl, but it's from her brother's point of view, and it was just very unique to watch. Um, or maybe it was no, I think it was her sister. It's been a long time since I've read it, but the sibling is the point of view, and um, just watching them watch this undercover transition because Luna is the, um, the transgender girl and she can't be out around her parents. So at night, her sibling will actually like take her out and let her be herself. And there was a lot of like very realistic sibling happenings there where they got angry at each other and was like, I feel like you know, you're stealing all my attention, Luna, and why am I putting out all my effort for you? and getting nothing in return. And it was, it was just a very interesting one. And a second one I had was I Am Jay by Chris Beam, um, which reading it a second time now that I'm older, I'm just like, oh, this is kind of poorly written. But it was the first book that I had read that had a transgender male character. And just the things that happened to him in, in this book I was just like, wow, I think these same thoughts. And that was just, it was huge to see that in a medium that I loved. And it, it has horrible pacing and some really unrealistic things happen in it. But 
overall, I'm like, this is, it was just amazing to see that representation. And I'm really glad that since that time, it has now become way easier and there's way more like trans-centered fiction out there. But those were, those are definitely two of my favorites that I held on to for a really long time. If you're looking for non-fiction recommendations, uh, anything by Julia Serena is probably a good look. Uh, her, her first non-fiction book, Whipping Girl, was kind of my introduction to transgender theory. I guess is a word for it. Um, that book is probably old enough at this point that maybe some of the theory stuff is age, but there's also a lot of like media analysis discussion in there that would still hold up, I imagine. Fiction-wise, uh, Nevada by Imogen Binney is, I've always seen held up by people as like the, the er trans woman novel. It's a kind of a, a road trip novel. She's the, the main character is kind of fed up with her dead end life in New York and goes on a road trip to Nevada. <laughs> and the book is kind of her adventures along the way and dealing with being transgender in America, Citra, you know, the early 2000s. All right. Those all sound like great additions to people's reading lists if they want to um, add some both trans fiction and nonfiction to their reading list. Um, so how can we make your library experience safer, both in person and virtually? And um, also, how could we make your library experience interesting and more engaging? In regards to the question about how to make the library a safer experience for trans and non-binary individuals, it comes back a lot to like with um, where like the best thing is to establish that track record. like you know, make sure that if you have policies, which you should about um, gender inclusion, to make sure that those policies are being enforced by your staff and that they are every day working to, like, remedy things as they occur. Um, and just, like, knowing that the staff is there for you in that capacity, and then through that, by extension, the other patrons. As far as, like, serving transgender patrons, you know, having, like, materials, like, nonfiction and fiction that would be touching on transgender issues is important and worthwhile. Um, but, 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 like, the same token, you know, you might have to be willing to put in a bit of research. Don't just snap up something to add to the collection just because it has transgender on it, because there's plenty of not-so-great stuff out there, too, in you may not be as um, advancing your collection as much as it looks like on the surface. If you just, if all of the books you get end up being like having a questionable, let's say, representation or questionable science to them, you have to be willing to put in, as if anything, where it's not a subject that you're an expert on, it, it pays to do a bit of research into it. Derek, do you have anything to add from a library patron perspective? Um, I would definitely say, like, a lot more of these these kind of like peeks into the community programs because um, growing up like I, I was at the library like every day because I practically lived there and but that kind of thing just didn't exist in our library and maybe it's because it was a little tiny library in rural Ohio or maybe it was just that library programming wasn't as in-depth back then 
but the idea of having like programming that could bring two social groups together that might not connect too much and kind of almost be able to learn from one um, that was a very new thing even recently whenever you mentioned before that you had done programs like this um, and I was like that's a super cool thing like I wish I had that years ago I haven't I've seen other librarians do it I don't want to create take credit for other librarians <laughs> awesome programming because I totally yeah. stole the idea um. <laughs> but even so like I think just continuing to have really good programming that is not necessarily just about like trans and LGBT like lives, but actually bringing in parts of the community you know, like we're doing here. So there's a more intimate view into it as opposed to let's just talk facts or you know opinions. It kind of gives like a better, almost like a better window into it for someone who may not have experienced too much of it. And like as a trans patron myself, seeing that available to increase like education and just information and eradicating like misinformation and hatred is a huge thing and i love seeing it and that kind of ties into the last question that i had which is like what kind of programming would you like to see that you don't currently see offered so i think Derek touched on what he would like to see uh joe and aaron if you guys have anything to add about programming that you would like to see or you would like to do going forward as a, as a librarian. <laughs> I won't steal your ideas, I promise. Well, until the, the, the pandemic, you know, went and ruined everything, I was doing programming with a teen center, so it was all like teen focused, but like a, a teen movie night that was focused on killing like uh, LGBTQI callback uh, topic movies. I thought that was a, that had some good attendance to it. I, I think that's a that's a way to uh, connect to buy the space to maybe you know see some stuff that maybe some people wouldn't have the opportunity to see at home. Um, unfortunately, that's not so much as an option right now with pandemic restriction. But uh, in general, and stuff like that. Barring a global health crisis, yeah, yeah. barring that, <laughs> these are, these are programs we'd like to see. Yeah, definitely. I think I would say. This is less, I think, a specific program suggestion, but for every program, um, and hearkening back to our first sort of point of, you know, trans 101 is that trans people are people, um, is to remember when you're putting on other programs that, like, there's likely a trans person who is in that field or, you know, is an expert on what you're trying to talk about and, like, including their voices in, you know, programs that aren't centered on the trans experience or, like, you know, what it is to be trans, like, I, I'm sure there are, you know, plenty of trans historians that would love to just give a talk about, like, the 1860s and its implications for the cotton industry, like, having those voices is, is a good inclusion for everyone. Yeah, that's, you know, people talk about that for all different groups and seeing that a lot now black people and people of color are all like we you can invite us to come talk about more than just race like we yeah. also want to talk about our expertise like that's why we went to school that's why we became an expert in this thing yeah diversity is a round the clock thing if you just have it in a little box to the side that's not actually being diverse i like that put that on t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> be my guest <laughs> Um, 
Is there anything else you would like to add to kind of wrap this up? Now's your time to plug anything if you want. The only projects I really just thought I'd put it out there. All the projects you have are top secret. Yeah, (laughs) that's very mysterious. Just like fan fiction writing. I'm not. I'm not going to plug that. Um, Oh yeah, no, you don't have to plug your fan fiction if you don't want to. That could be for you. I get that. I feel that. That's all I really got going on. (laughs) But if uh, that's everything, then thank you all three of you for coming it was wonderful to have you thanks for listening for the full episode search for downtime with cranston public library on your podcast player or visit cranstonlibrary.org roadie radio is a project of the office of library and information services and is made possible by a grant from the rhode island council for the humanities (laughs) 